0: Well, good evening. Welcome to Bible study. We want to make a start. Sorry, we're running uh, running slightly late, but tonight uh, we're we're commencing. As you can see on the screen, a New Testament survey, and uh, this is going to take us through the whole year. And uh, some of you are enrolled uh, in the Bible College course, so thank you for that. Um, I think that's the way to get the most out of this study. Uh, but for everybody. I trust that uh, this will help you to understand your Bible better. Okay, that's the whole goal of this series. Now, a survey is designed to give uh, an overview of the New Testament and its particular books. And it helps us to see the flow, the unity and the interconnectivity of the Bible. And it also helps to establish the point or the purpose or the big idea of the individual books. And that's vital in order to ensure we interpret the book properly now bible study very uh, simply consists of three stages okay, there's observation that's seeing what the text says there's interpretation determining what the text means and then there's application applying the text to life now in new testament survey it's the observation stage that we focus on primarily so we look at the whole book endeavoring to determine the major emphasis and purpose which will then orientate us to interpret the book more accurately okay and this is uh my my big goal okay of this particular series what i would like at the end is for us to know what the big idea of every book of the new testament is okay there's 27 books so my goal is at the end of the year i can say what's the gospel of luke about and there'll be a short statement, I'll endeavour to keep it short, and you'll be able to go back. And you know what the book is about. What's 2 Thessalonians about? And you'll be able to say it. Okay, So that is my goal. So here is um, the outline or the approach. I've got um, two slides, couldn't fit the whole thing in one. Um, and you'll notice that with the longer books, I'm going to dedicate two weeks to them. And uh, the structure will be quite simple. So in the first week, we'll consider uh, an overview. We'll determine the major emphasis, background, and structural information of the book. We'll consider an outline. And then in the second week, what I like to do is to actually engage with the text of the book. I was a little bit concerned that I didn't want to just give lots of overview and historical information And not spend any time looking at the actual text of the book. So that's why I'd like to dedicate two weeks to the bigger books. And with the books that are smaller, I'll try my hardest to do it in one lesson. So what we're going to do in tonight's lesson is we'll work through a lot of introductory information. A lot of historical background. And this will help us to gain a greater understanding of the New Testament. But before we begin uh, our lesson, uh, we're going to pray and we'll ask for the Lord's help throughout the whole year, uh, but particularly for tonight. So let's pray. Now, Father God, as we start out on a new series, uh, considering the New Testament, uh, I do ask that uh, you would bless the endeavor and uh, may this uh, teaching uh, help us to understand our Bibles better, help us to see you more clearly, and uh, please guide and direct us uh, both tonight. And throughout this year, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You now, the last words that God has ever spoken to mankind are recorded in the New Testament. Okay, the New Testament contains the final revelation. Okay, revelation is God's communication of truth to man, without which man cannot know God and his gospel. Okay, if God doesn't reveal it, we won't know it. And we believe that the entire Bible is God's revelation. It is His Word. It's given to us through inspiration. What I mean by inspiration is that holy men of God were guided or superintended by the Holy Spirit, thus ensuring inerrancy. So the Bible is free from error. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So in the original manuscripts, the Bible was inspired by God. It come from him, and this is verbal plenary inspiration, so it's not just the ideas, but the very words are inspired. Okay, so that's inspiration, okay, but inspiration is limited to the original manuscripts. So the King James Version or any other version, it's not the re-inspired word, okay, that's doctrinal error, but rather what we have is the preserved word. And we can be very confident that what we have in the New Testament is the Word of God. Why? Because there's an abundance of manuscript evidence. We don't have the original manuscripts, but there are over 5,000 manuscripts that can be assessed, and that's astonishing, because no other ancient literature comes anywhere near that, and yet their integrity or truthfulness is never questioned. Now, B.B. Warfield he says on this point, he says, Such has been the care with which the New Testament has been copied, a care which has doubtless grown out of true reverence for its holy works. Such has been the providence of God in preserving for His church in each and every age a completely exact text of the Scriptures, that the New Testament is unrivaled among ancient writings in its purity of texts as actually transmitted and kept in use. Okay, so we can be confident in the accuracy and reliability of the New Testament. Now, in the New Testament, there are 27 books. It's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, making 66. And in the New Testament, they fit into four broad categories. We have the Gospels, we have History, we have the Epistles, and we have Prophecy. Now, under the Epistles, we usually talk about two broad categories. You've got the Pauline Epistles, and you've got the general epistles and then if you want subpoints under the subpoints okay with the pauline epistles we usually refer to the early epistles the major epistles the prison epistles and the pastoral epistles and it looks something like that now the books of the new testament were written over a period of about 50 years from around about 45 to 95 ad by eight or nine authors okay, depending on who you believe wrote the book of Hebrews? Now the books were not written in the same order that we find them in our Bibles. Okay, so Matthew was not the first book written. Okay, the Gospels were not all written before the Epistles. Now that there is a little bit of debate about dates, but usually James is regarded as the first book written. And uh, I've got a couple of charts uh, in your outline. And there's a few on the screen. I don't know if that's very clear. Um, but both James and also Mark. Mark is a debated one. Okay, Is it early? So you see there it's very early. Well, that one's pointless. Um, looks okay on my computer, but we'll ignore that one. Okay, so when uh, we talk about uh, the New Testament, okay, we're speaking about the 27 books. And we're going to study each of these books in this survey. Now, when it comes uh, to New Testament survey, it's very important that we don't neglect the obvious. There is an Old Testament. We don't want to forget that. And it preceded the New. And an important question is this. how, How does the New Testament and the Old Testament relate? Okay, so God revealed himself and the gospel in the Old Testament, but we could say that it was a partial revelation. Now, when we talk about revelation, okay, revelation is progressive, okay, meaning that the New Testament is a more complete revelation, but this doesn't mean that the Old Testament is obsolete, okay? That's a grave mistake. Because, in fact, knowledge and familiarity with the Old Testament is vital in understanding the New Testament, because the New Testament is full of Old Testament quotations and references. And what this reveals is that there is a continuity, an interconnectedness between the Testaments. Okay, the famous saying, I believe Augustine first said it, okay, the new is the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. And when it comes to understanding how the old and new relate, that there is a bit of debate, it's called the continuity versus discontinuity, and I'm going to stand in the middle because I think both elements are true, okay, there are differences and there are unifying realities, okay, the Old Testament is the old covenant, okay, whereas the New Testament is the new covenant, in fact, the word testament means covenant, so, so there is a different covenant, Okay, and Paul Benware, in his New Testament survey, uh, he offers this outline. He says, the Gospels are the New Covenant instituted. Acts is the New Covenant proclaimed. The Epistles, the New Covenant explained. And Revelation, the New Covenant fulfilled. Okay, So this is what the New Testament is all about. Okay, and although the Gospels, strictly speaking, are still under the Old Covenant, except for the post-resurrection appearances. The New Testament is all about the new covenant, okay? And that was prophesied by Jeremiah, okay, in the 31st chapter. And there's another change that we need to identify, okay? In the Old Testament, Israel were in the spotlight, but in the New Testament, the church is now in the spotlight, okay? So these are some differences. There is some discontinuity, but it is important for us to remember that the Bible tells one story, We want to use four words, creation, fall, redemption, recreation. Okay, the Bible is all about God providing a way for salvation or for his glory. Or if we want to simplify it even further, okay, down to one word, the Bible is about Jesus. Okay, so five times Jesus says the scriptures are about him. Now, at that point, okay, he had the Old Testament in mind, okay, that's true, but it's not a stretch to say that all scriptures talk about Jesus. Okay, but the fact that he said this five times, that ought to cause us to pay attention. Okay, now here are the five verses. Okay, Matthew 5, 17. Okay, it says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. Luke 24, 27. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets... He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke twenty four forty four, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. John five thirty nine. Search, search the scriptures, For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And then Hebrews ten seventeen, Lo said I, sorry, then said I, Lo, I come in. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Okay, so it's very clear that Jesus understood the Bible was all about him. Now, as I already acknowledged, okay, the New Testament was not written when Jesus spoke these words, but it's clear that he recognized that he was the theme of the old testaments. And then there's very little difficulty identifying him as the theme of the New Testament. Okay, this is how scholars will sometimes explain it. Okay, in the Gospels, Jesus is the prophet to his people. In Acts and the Epistles, Jesus is the priest for his people. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the king over his people. Okay, so Jesus is the central theme of the Bible. It's all about him. And with that in mind, this helps us to see how the old and the new interrelate. Now, Norman Geisler, in his New Testament survey book, he gives this chart. So we have the the eight different categories of Scripture. The law refers to that as the foundation for Christ. Then history is preparation for Christ. Poetry is aspiration for Christ. Prophecy is expectation of Christ. Gospels, manifestation of Christ. Acts is the propagation of Christ. Epistles, interpretation of Christ and application. And revelation is consummation in Christ. Okay, so that identifies the eight main sections of the Bible. And it reveals how the Bible unfolds Jesus. Okay, and this helps us to see that the Bible is all about him. We could say the Bible is Christocentric. Jesus is. Is the theme of both testaments okay? And this is seen in this particular chart okay, in the Old Testament, Jesus is coming, in the New, He has arrived, in the Old Testament, He is contained, in the New Testament, He's explained, in the Old Testament, He's in the shadow, in the New Testament, He is in substance. Okay, so this is very important in understanding how the Bible fits together, it's all about jesus okay and guys again has uh this chart in his book and i think it's great and uh, this is in your notes i couldn't get it on the screen in a nice way uh, and he prefaced the chart with this comment he said christ is the theme of each book in the bible indeed in most books christ is presented in many ways but there is one significant way he is presented in connection with the theme of each book and you'll notice in the chart okay, he lists every book of the bible and he describes okay, that the way that Jesus is primarily revealed uh, in that book. Okay, and I think that's something very helpful for you to keep in mind. Okay, So this helps us to see that the Bible is all about Jesus. Okay, and we need to keep this in mind as we read the Bible, okay, you know, whether as we do our devotions or as someone is preaching. Okay, What, what does this say about Jesus? H- how does it point to him? How does Jesus... Fulfill it. And this is vital as we seek to understand the Scriptures. And this helps us to see how the Old Testament and the New Testament are related. Now, one writer summarized it like this when we're talking about how they relate. The Old Testament is promise and expectation. The New is fulfillment and completion. And the main character in both Testaments is Jesus. Or we could say the New Testament continues The story of the Old Testament—it's the climax. Okay, in the Old Testament, God had promised redemption through the Messiah, and the New Testament contains the fulfillment of this promise. So, with all that said, that was more of the theological focus. I now want to shift our focus toward the historical and cultural considerations. Okay, Old Testament times and New Testament times uh, were very different. The New Testament was written in a Roman world. And in order for us to grasp and appreciate this, we need to spend some time having a brief history lesson. Uh, I took a course at Bible college. It was 12 months. And I'm trying to condense it down to 10 pages or something. So we'll see how we go. You know, what what is interesting is that the Lord throughout history He ensured that the perfect environment was prepared for the coming of Christ, for the commencement of the church, and for the spread of the gospel. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, it speaks of the fullness of time. In the fullness of time did Christ come. What that means is that God was working out history to ensure that Christ came at the perfect time, in the perfect environment. And there are numerous monumental historical moments that help us understand the New Testament. So let's have a very brief history lesson okay, and see how it all relates to the New Testament. Okay, there are 400 years between the Old and the New Testaments. And this is often referred to as the silent years. The reason why it has that name is because there's no revelation from God. Now, I prefer the term intertestamental period. I think that's a better term. Okay, and this was a vital time to prepare for the coming of Christ. So let's consider some of the major empires focusing on their contribution to the New Testament way of life. Okay, So the first kingdom is the Babylonians. Now this is still in Old Testament history and they were the agents of judgment that God used against Judah. Okay, if you remember, there were three deportations. The first was in 605 BC and the final was in 586 BC. And that was when Jerusalem was burnt to the ground. The people were led into captivity and they remained in captivity for 70 years. Now, this had several important impacts that would shape New Testament life. Okay, some good and some bad. Okay, number one, it resulted in Jews being spread throughout the world. Okay, so Jews were dispersed. And at the time of Christ, there were Jewish populations in every large city okay? and there was a particularly large population in Alexandria, which is in Egypt, and this would become the capital of the Jewish dispersion throughout the world. The second impact that it had was to do with idolatry. Okay? The people ended up in captivity because of idolatry okay? they chased after other gods. Guess what? After the captivity, Israel don't have that problem anymore. Okay, because the time in captivity, that was God's judgment. That was his chastening hand, and it eliminated their tendency toward idolatry. Okay, so this was no longer a problem for them. The third thing is tradition. Okay, during these times, the Mishnah and the Haggadah, not sure if I said that right, they were amplified. And together they became known as the Talmud. And this included man-made rules, and the theology and commentary of the rabbis. And its significance and authority increased dramatically, and that's very evident in the New Testament. Okay, when Jesus is debating with the Pharisees, it's to do with the traditions. Okay, the fourth thing from the Babylonian era is the scribes. Okay, the priests could no longer work in the temple. It was destroyed. What should they do? Well, they started copying the Old Testament scriptures, which made it more readily available, and it also meant they became more acquainted with it the fifth thing uh, is worship okay synagogues began to be established as local places of worship and this seems to happen after the captivity and by new testament times synagogues were located throughout the mediterranean world and the sixth thing is education okay the new professions of teacher and interpreters of the law called rabbis and scribes it originated here Okay, so these things impacted the way of life in the New Testament in massive ways. Okay, The next empire is the Persians. and It was under the Persians that the return from captivity took place. Okay, Cyrus allowed them to return initially to rebuild the temple. That's recorded in the book of Ezra. And then Nehemiah returned to rebuild the walls. Okay, and this was vital because a functioning temple and a thriving Jerusalem were necessary for the coming of Christ. And during this time, Ezra had a vital ministry. Okay, Ezra taught the scriptures to those who had returned. Okay, and most scholars believe that he was pivotal in putting together the Old Testament canon. Okay, so that's the Persian era. The next empire is the Greeks. Now, although this period of time was uh, quite short, it was incredibly influential uh, Pastor Mitchell taught me history and this was his favorite character Alexander the Great and that's who led uh, this empire and Alexander was a military genius uh, but not only did he conquer the world he also went about revolutionizing the world you Now, when Alexander conquered Persia okay, the Jews had a new master and they didn't resist so Alexander treated the Jews quite well But one of his policies was called Hellenization. now, Now, what does that mean? Well, Hellenism is the Greek culture. So Hellenization is introducing Greek culture to the places that he had conquered. Now, it's true that Greek culture had already began spreading, but this was amplified under Alexander. And he established 70 cities and modeled them after the Greek way of life. And his army would often marry the women of conquered nations, which would further help the spread and the ingraining of Greek culture. Now, Alexander didn't live that long. Uh, he's known for his impressive military accomplishments, but the efforts of Hellenization are perhaps even more impressive. Okay, for the Greek language, which was a key component of Hellenization, remains what's called the Linga Franca. That's the common trade language. And it remained that for the next 600 years. And just about everybody knew Greek. Okay. Why does that matter? Well, it explains why the New Testament is written in Greek. Okay. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Okay. Why the change? Well, it was because Greek had become the common language throughout the whole world. Why is that important? Well, that enabled the spread of the gospel. Okay, that enabled the teaching of scripture without all of these language barriers, okay, because most people knew Greek. And furthermore, as Robert Gramacy points out in his New Testament survey, he says, Greek is a highly sophisticated language with its many declensions, conjugations, and grammatical technicalities. If you've ever done Greek, you know that's true. You know, it was the perfect medium in which the New Testament could be written. Thus, when the time came, the apostles could speak and write in a language that everyone in the Roman world could understand. Okay, so that's why it's so important. Okay, and this Greek became known as Koine Greek. Koine means common, and uh, this was vital for the New Testament. Now, as I mentioned previously, Alexander the Great died quite young, and he had no heirs. So his kingdom was split between four of his generals, And uh, two of them really rose to power, and they are the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Now, the land of the Jews fell under Ptolemy rulership first. And unfortunately, Palestine was often a bit of a battleground because it was sandwiched between the the Seleucids and the Ptolemies, the Ptolemies down in Egypt area. Now, during the Ptolemaic era, there's one significant contribution to the New Testament. And that's the compiling of the Septuagint. Okay, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And one scholar explains it like so. He says, An important avoid, sorry avoid, event occurred in the reign of Ptolemy Philadelphus in 285 to 247 BC. He had the Hebrew Old Testament translated by Jewish scholars into the Greek language in order to meet the needs of Jews who had been reared in Greek culture. Many Jews, such as those who were born and read in Alexandria, Egypt, understood Greek far better than Hebrew. Okay, this version, which is called the Septuagint, became a significant document to the Jewish community living outside of Palestine. Later, it was the Bible used in the early church. Okay, so that is a significant um, moment. And I will say, it's not a very good translation. Okay, that's something for us to keep in mind, but it is quoted in the New Testament. Now, the next era is the Seleucids. You know, they had tried and they had failed to take Palestine from the Ptolemies numerous times, but they finally succeeded in 198 BC. And what, what happened under this reign was that Hellenization was enforced, and Jews were actually persecuted heavily if they did not conform to the Greek way of life and all that it entailed. And, and there's a name, perhaps you've heard of, this character before he's very infamous Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, he had a lot of influence and he loved to interfere with the priesthood and put his own men uh, in those positions. And his whole goal was to make Jerusalem more Greek and less Jewish. And he committed what's known as the abomination of desolation. So what that is, is that he offered a pig in the temple and he hated Jewish religion, and uh, the death penalty was implemented on those who sought to practice Judaism. Now, in light of such hostility, Jewish rebellion was only a matter of time, and this resulted in the next period known as the Maccabean and Hasmonean period. This is often referred to as the period of independence, and politically, it was a time of revolt by Jewish leaders against the Seleucid forces. And religiously, it was a time of restoring worship of the Lord, and they also rededicated the temple. Okay, so again, that is all significant in the New Testament. Now, during this period of time, Palestine was geographically divided into three familiar divisions, okay, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. Okay, they're three areas that we see in the New Testament. And it was also during this time that the rival religious sects developed. Okay, the Pharisees and the Sadducees they became enemies at this time. Sorry, I missed that one. Oh, I missed lots. Mate, I'm on fire. The final empire uh, is the Roman Empire. Okay, and this was the empire during the whole New Testament period. Now Rome. Rome's rule began in Judea when it intervened in Jewish conflict in 63 BC. And Rome was a dominant empire. It had conquered everybody. And what happened that they passed from this period of rapid expansion, fight everybody, conquer everybody. And when they conquered everybody, they passed into a time of relative peace. And this is known historically as the Pax Romana. And this was crucial for the spread of the gospel and the advance of the church. Now, it would be helpful for us to have some understanding of how the Romans administrated their empire, as this helps us understand the New Testament. So, we have the emperor. We have Caesar. Okay, he oversaw the entire empire. And uh, in your notes, there's a chart, and that has uh, all the emperors who ruled during the New Testament era, and that had an impact. Okay, there are some other emperors who I didn't list. Um, so you see Augustus. Okay, he's uh, recorded in Luke chapter 2. And then we have Tiberius. Okay, he was the, uh, the emperor during Jesus' whole public ministry and when Jesus was crucified. And then as we work down the list, we've probably heard of Nero. He was a persecutor of Christians. Uh, Vespasian, Titus... Okay, Titus was the military general responsible for destroying Jerusalem in A.D. 70. He wasn't the emperor at that time. Okay, his role as emperor was after. And then there's Domitian, who was a persecutor of the Christians. Okay, so there's the emperors. Now, what the emperors did okay, in ruling their kingdom, I'm sure you can understand it's a massive kingdom. Okay, they, they can't be everywhere at the same time. So they employed one of two systems to govern the varying provinces which were under their ultimate control. They're known as senatorial and imperial. So that the provinces that were reasonably peaceful and they were loyal to Rome, so they weren't known to you know, cause trouble, okay, they would have proconsuls and they were responsible to the Roman Senate and they kept their position for usually only 12 months and it would be reviewed by the Senate. So that's one type. And then the second type, this was for the provinces who didn't behave themselves. Okay? They were known to rebel and so forth. And of course, okay, Judah was that type of province. Okay, the emperor would normally station okay, some of the military in those areas and they were governed by prefects or uh, procurators. And they were appointed by the emperor himself and they were answerable to him directly. Now in Palestine, they were ruled by the kings of the Herodian dynasty. And this began with Herod the Great in 37 BC, and it ended with the death of Herod Agrippa II in AD 70. Now, Herod the Great, uh, he he was a horrible man, if you think of the worst man in history, and he's up there. Uh, When he died, there was a struggle for power amongst his heirs, and and there was Jewish insurrections at this time, and it meant Rome had to get involved. And at this point in time, there was a division in the kingdom, and you ended up with rulers in Judea providence, okay, so that's men such as Pontius Pilate and Felix, and then there's rulers in the Galilee province, which is the Herods, okay, so when we read about the crucifixion of Christ, you read about Pontius Pilate, you read about Herod, okay, so they were, one was the ruler in Judea, one was the ruler in Galilee. Now, here are a couple of of charts for you i've got two two slides so that is the family of herod the great and then i'm not sure if you're able to see that and then this is the roman procurators of judea and you'll see down at uh, number six we have pontius pilate Uh, he's probably the most famous uh, on that list and then we also have Felix, and we also have Festus, okay, who we meet in the book of Acts. So the New Testament era was one that was under Rome domination. Okay? It was during the time of the Pax Romana, a time of relative peace, and the world had been Hellenized. It was very Greek, okay? and that is seen most clearly through the use okay, of Koine Greek as the common language of the people. Now with all of that in mind, okay, I'd like to share just a little bit more background information that I think will help us have a greater understanding of the New Testament. Okay so we move to the New Testament world, uh, the geography. okay I want to move through these points reasonably quickly. Okay so in the times of Jesus, okay that is the Gospels. okay it's here in Palestine where just about everything unfolds and the map should be in your notes. Uh, it's not color in your notes, but and you should see some places uh, that you've read in the Bible before. And then when we get to the book of Acts, we have the great uh, missionary movement. And here is a map of how things spread out at that point in time. Okay, so it's, it's here where the New Testament unfolds. Okay, and placing things on the map is often very helpful. The next category in the New Testament world is that of language. As I've mentioned, Greek was spoken throughout the empire. It was the language of the common people. Uh, It was the language for trade and commerce. But it was not the only language spoken. Latin was actually the legal language for the Roman Empire. Uh, It was mainly used in the west of the empire, so on that side. Not so much in the east. uh, But even in the west... Greek was still widely used. But in the east of the empire, which is that side of the screen where Palestine is, Greek dominated. But Jews that were living in Palestine during the times of Jesus, not only did they speak Greek, but Aramaic and Hebrew were also common. And scholars usually think that Aramaic was likely the predominant language amongst Jews. And this language was picked up by the Jews during their time in exile. Okay, and it seems that Jesus probably spoke the most uh, in Aramaic. Now, the New Testament world, the, the next one is class structure. Okay, the Roman world basically destroyed what we call the middle class. Okay, it become next to non-existent, and that was largely due to the rise in slavery. Okay, so what you ended up with is the, um, oh, sorry, I always mess this word up, the Arista, that's the one the aristocrats i'll say that i can't get the acy sound you know that's the rich that's the landowners okay they're powerful and influential okay so, so they're up the top then you have what's called the plebs they were poor people usually they struggled to get work and often their life was worse than the slaves and then below that you had the slaves and the criminals and it's believed that over half the empire was made up of slaves. Okay, you know, there are massive numbers okay, that, that float around when you ask the question, how many slaves were in the Roman Empire? Now, the society was also very patriarchal, so it didn't have a high view of women or children. Um, you know, if you read some things, it's actually quite disturbing okay, how women and children were treated in a Roman society. And this is where the New Testament teaching on the family was very revolutionary. Okay? Christianity was very different okay, to, to what was happening at the time. Next, I'd like to consider the immorality of the New Testament world. You know, The New Testament world was incredibly immoral. Okay? Immorality was rampant. Uh, you know, we think today is bad, and it is, but you know, New Testament times were horrible as well. And that's not surprising because most of the gods were immoral and most of the temples had prostitutes. That was part of their worship. Now, in the society itself, prostitution was rampant for both men and women. Slaves were sexually exploited. Some men even prostituted their own wives and children in order to make more money. Homosexuality was common. Having a boy lover was not uncommon, particularly amongst the rich. And divorce was rampant. Now, here's a saying of the time that illustrates the moral condition. Okay, the men would say, "...mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for the daily care of our person, but wives to bear us legitimate children and to be faithful guardians of our household." Imagine being a wife, you know, how horrible. Okay, but that was the pervasive attitude. And many scholars actually claim that sexual immorality was the number one cause of the fall of the Roman Empire. Okay, that's what a lot of scholars will say and it's hard to argue with. Okay, let's now move to the religion of the New Testament world. Okay, one writer says this. He said Christianity did not begin its growth in a religious vacuum in which it found people blankly waiting for something to believe. On the contrary, the new faith in Christ had to fight its way against entrenched religious beliefs that had been in existence for centuries. There was lots of religious practices during the time of the New Testament. And authors usually identify five different types of religious competition, so to speak. I've got them listed in the outline. So number one was the Greco-Roman pantheon. Uh, This was certainly on the decline during the New Testament era, but it was still practiced. So you had Greek and you had Roman gods, and they had come together to make a kind of collection of deities. And this functioned as the state religion. Then secondly, you'd have emperor worship. Now, ascribing divinity to human rulers, that's an ancient practice. Okay? We know the Egyptians practiced such a thing. Okay? Pharaoh was regarded as a god. And this normally happened after a Caesar had died. Okay? But some pushed for it while they were still alive. And Jews and Christians were heavily persecuted for not worshipping the emperor. Number three is what's called the mystery religions. Now, this is all about having mystical experiences with deities. And so, so people wanted something more personal, more experiential. And this appealed more to the emotions than anything else. So one would enter into some kind of experience with their deity, and it was all quite secretive. It's like a secret society. You had to be a member to get like the secret password in order to experience this. Uh, It was very welcoming, and it was riddled with immorality, so it became quite popular. And there is continuing discussion amongst scholars about how this may or may not have influenced the early church. Okay, number four, maybe you've heard of this one before, it's Gnosticism. Okay, Gnosticism, as the name uh, implies, it's derived from the Greek word gnosis, which speaks of knowledge. Okay, Gnosticism was a system that promised salvation by knowledge. So, so there was some special knowledge that was required. And what it taught was that the material world was evil and that only the spiritual mattered. Okay, and ve- very simply, and I'm, okay, I'm probably oversimplifying this, okay, it taught that man's problem was not guilt from sin, but ignorance. Okay, and ignorance needed to be replaced with knowledge and then number five uh, is philosophies okay philosophy was massive Uh, one author gives this definition he says philosophy is the attempt to correlate all existing knowledge about the universe into systematic form and to integrate human experience with it Okay, now philosophy was massive at this time. Okay, this was one of the impacts that Greek culture had on the world. Okay, Greek was riddled with philosophy. Athens was famous for it. And it continued to thrive in the Roman Empire. And what the appeal was behind these philosophies is they would regularly come up with something new. They're like, whoa, here's something new, something exciting. And people would chase after it. Now, in this philosophy, okay, it included things such as stoicism, uh, cynicism, skepticism, and probably lots of other isms. Okay? But stoicism and cynicism, skepticism, they're all things that perhaps you've heard of today. So this is the religious environments in the pagan world, and that certainly had an impact on the church. But the greatest impact on the church was Judaism. Okay, which was practiced uh, in Israel. Now, we don't have the time to look at this in detail, but okay, very briefly, at this point in time, the synagogue took center stage. Okay, that's where all the teaching took place, as did the temple. The, the religious calendar was important. They were remembering other festivals. And there were numerous religious groups. You have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes. You've got the Sanhedrin. You've got scribes. And they all had an impact during the ministry of Jesus and the early church. Okay, and for those who were taking this as a course, I'm going to send you some reading on this if you would like to know more about it. Okay, So that's a very general overview of the context which the New Testament was written and played out. Now, I understand that's an awful lot of information, um, probably too much, and believe it or not, there is an awful lot more um, that i could have shared uh, but from all of this I, I trust there's maybe one or two things okay that, that you have learned okay that will help you to understand the bible a little bit better uh, now in closing i'm i'm not a lecturer i'm actually a preacher uh, i think i'm better at preaching than i am lecturing so i want to leave you with two thoughts of application very briefly number one god's hand on history Okay, we briefly walked through okay, the history between the Testaments. Okay? We, we saw all the, the dominant empires. And, and even with these powerful forces, God was at work. Okay? God's hand was upon all of these events, preparing the way for Jesus Christ to come. And my friend, this is our God. That this is His greatness. His hands are on everything. And, and God is working everything toward His ordained purposes, okay, and he did all of this, okay, why? Well, it was to bring Jesus Christ into the world at the perfect time, so that he could provide salvation for us, okay, that's very good news, And, and now God is working history toward its culmination, what's the culmination? Well, that is the return of Christ, his rule, and the recreation, everything is moving toward that. And I trust that's something that encourages you. And the second point is that the Bible is about Jesus. If we go back to the start of the lesson, a long time ago now, I know. But we saw that the Bible is all about Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that every verse speaks about him directly. But ultimately, it's all about him. And that's the key when we read the bible we need to see jesus what what does this teach me about him what what does this teach me about my need for him how does jesus fulfill this okay so we need to keep this in mind as we read and study the bible look for jesus because that's what the bible is all about And that's why reading the Bible, that's why studying the Bible is such an amazing thing. It's not just some academic exercise. You're not just trying to wrap your head around the material, but rather it's in the Bible where we see Jesus. And I trust that we will see Jesus very clearly as we embark on this New Testament survey. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you. Uh, that we've been able to consider uh, these things tonight. I know there's a lot of information, and uh, it's hard to to process uh, it all. Uh, But, Lord, I I do pray uh, that there would be uh, some helpful things shared tonight, uh, that uh, you lay the foundations um, as we embark uh, on this journey uh, through New Testament survey. Uh, Please help us um, as as we do this study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, For those who are taking this uh, for college, if you could please meet me down in Henderson Hall. I just want to talk to you about um, a few things. Thank you.